0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <coughs>
1: Saints podcast. This week's pod has a very South Coast feel to it as we reflect back on today's game with non-rivals Brighton and Hove Albion and look ahead to next weekend's FA Cup quarter-final with non-rivals Bournemouth. Before we get going with that, please rest assured that after a tiring week of royal family chat, the only conversation you'll hear about a Harry on here is likely to be Redknapp aligned, the only Megs will probably be nut related, and unless relieving today's horror show becomes too much, it's highly unlikely that your host will storm off mid-show either. Actually, that last one might be easier said than done. As always, Steve, Glenn and Dan are here. Excitedly, no doubt. Evening, gents. Oh, yeah. Evening. Big time. Evening. <laughs> Steve, I was going to say, chomping at the bit, right?
2: Yeah, about as chomping at the bit as most of the players today.
1: <laughs> yeah. Dan, let's try and lighten the mood before we get into uh, that, uh, I think we can probably call it car crash. Um, for those that haven't read it, an enjoyable piece from you in The Athletic over the weekend featuring the ever-enthusiastic Jos hoy So, good to catch up with him. Jos, the boss.
3: Yeah, do you know what? It was, I mean, obviously, you, you guys knew I was doing it beforehand but i spent a good 40 45 minutes on the phone and i didn't stop laughing i mean he is what a character really good guy yeah i've exchanged a few messages with him since the interview and since it's gone up and yeah what what a fantastic character and i have to to thank glenn for for the box head line because the stuff he said about that i mean i didn't print all of it was just absolutely phenomenal so that that made me laugh for a good a good evening
1: for sure i know i think uh glenn you remember this better than i do but uh yeah i i saw obviously that you'd mentioned about it but wasn't it something to do with him and chaplow wasn't it I, I know i was reading dan's piece but obviously they were sort of taking the mick out of each other's heads and the boldy thing and all that sort of thing were not they uh
4: it was well, obviously richard chaplow's got a very distinctive head and he he fired back with about the size of joss's forehead or something, <laughs> you know, and said he had a head like a cardboard box, and it kind of grew from there. I think Chaplin might have might have posted the first picture of him with a well, of himself with a box on his head, and it it kind of grew from there and uh yeah Hoyvelt took it and ran with it and uh yeah it's quite quite funny at the time, but uh it's it's, it's one of those things that you actually uh uh, actually, forget about as uh, as players move on. But yeah, it was. Uh, I do remember it being uh, being quite amusing at the time, and some of the uh, some of the pictures that appeared on Twitter
1: were uh, very inventive. Shall yeah. we say? I think that's the thing. is I was thinking about this, uh, Glenn, just briefly before we get going. But yeah, it, it kind of reminisced the sort of feel good factor in the squad of that sort of what 2012, 2014, the Adkins pot era. There was a lot of banter, I suppose, between some of the players that maybe there isn't so much now. I know times are harder uh, within the squad and everything at the moment, but it was a, a sort of feel-good factor around when Yoss and Chaplin and players like that were there. Yeah, I, th- I think there was, and I think Nigel
4: Atkins' general demeanour probably uh, promoted that. But but also, it's uh, when I read the piece that Dan wrote, it just made me think about... I think everyone does this, they look back and say there were more characters in the game. But in that squad, we did have... we seemed to have quite a few and it there seemed to be a stronger mentality which is an interesting thing when we when you think about the game that we've just watched today there seemed to be a stronger mentality in that group of players and uh, that that took them a long way probably farther than uh, than the ability of some of the players actually warranted but well,
3: uh, it, it was similar when i spoke to Danny Fox when we were kind of chatting and he was he said the same if we went a goal gap there not one person in our team thought we were going to lose that game we yeah. knew we'd, we we knew with like lamb on the pitch lina on the pitch However, we were going to score and then once we'd scored we'd score again and yeah the, the the character thing from jos was interesting i thought because he he kind of corrected me on that because i said leaders and he was like it's not necessarily leaders because leaders isn't what is a leader i mean and that is true i mean what is a leader he was like what you want is you want characters and when you think of that team he played in the dressing room is full of them and i, I tweeted it out earlier as just I thought, well, that's a pertinent quote now, and it's he he look he looks at the team and he's he keeps a keen eye on Saints I know, and he's telling there's not one he doesn't think there's one character in that team, and on days like today, you have to think, well, you're probably right, Yoss.
1: Well. Let's get on to it before we get going. Uh, Of course, it is Mother's Day here in the UK today, so result aside, a very big TSP wishes to all the fantastic saintly mums out there. No doubt trying to uh, keep saints' families together tonight, uh, if it's anything like our house. But uh, there we go. On to this week's episode, underpinned by our global TSP patrons. This is TSP 154. (laughs) This is the Total Saints podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints followed up Wednesday's 5-2 defeat at Manchester City with a bitterly disappointing loss to Brighton, making it four points from a possible 36. Glenn, before we get on to... Brighton a couple of things I wanted to discuss about the Man City games I've had a couple of people get in touch and I think I was quite interested as well to sort of follow up on these with you guys and just before we sort of talk maybe about the goalkeeping situation with Dan what did you make of the overall performance at City Glen because I know a lot of Saints fans seem fairly encouraged by it certainly that first half an hour although I'm not sure if it's just the fact that we didn't lose by that scoreline in the end that made us all feel relatively positive
4: well, I felt after the game it was kind of like job done. We we'd rested players, so we were all fresh for the Brighton game, which is I think most people would have happily gone down that route. We didn't get smashed by too many, um, though letting in five is never a good thing. But um, we did play reasonably well in 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 patches. Um, in fact, we played we played very well in patches, and we we didn't let Manchester City play for for, for sort of a decent portion of the first half. However, we. Gave away three or four horrendous goals. I think City only really had to work hard for one of their goals. So, you know, it, it was okay, I think. 99% 99% of Saints fans, all the ones who aren't in asylums would, um, were expecting us to lose that game. And it's, it's no surprise that we did. It's just, it's just crazy when you look at the, you know, 11 world class players on the pitch and another nine on the bench that, that Manchester City have got. So I know I saw some people say, well, now, now we've got a win against Brighton and it, it, it's not, it's not quite as simple as that. But the fact that we, we you know Ralph rested players which I think most people would have agreed with you know don't want to play Walker Peters for two games in 3 days or whatever and the the you know the anticipation was of a better performance and result today and and it didn't happen so well, I I think mean, how bad we'd have been if
2: we
1: hadn't rested players
4: mm, yeah yeah
2: mm. <laughs> yeah <Yep. God. laughs>
1: and, uh, and dan just um obviously Ralph sort of said after the game I think along the lines of he wanted to experiment a bit you know he tried Celacic at left back wanted to have a look at him and things like that but I was interested to just touch with you on the, um, the goalkeeping situation because, um, of course we spoke about Fraser Forster after the Sheffield United game and, uh, he didn't have a lot to do admittedly, but it was a clean sheet. And, uh, I suppose to me, Dan, my, my sort of cynical side was saying, well, he's clearly put McCarthy back in goal because he fancied us to ship a few at City and he wanted to probably maintain Forster's confidence rather than ending up with two keepers that are struggling a little bit you know forced to let him five six seven or something like that but do you think it's as uh, basic as that or do you think he is just sort of rotating them to give them a you know try and keep them sharp almost i i, I don't th- i mean I, I i have my own opinion on on the kind of goalkeeper position and it's not
3: one that you just chop and change and you could go through countless teams where they they tend to stick with just one goalkeeper goalkeepers need stability don't they they're that kind of breed they have to play every game now I think being cynical, yes, Alex McCarthy was essentially a uh, sacrificial lamb. The lions a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was we're going to protect Forster. Um he's kept five clean five clean sheets in six games. And I guess if you're being if you're sitting on the other side of the fence, you could say well, Alex is probably a bit better with the ball at his feet and suits that style a little bit more. And maybe that's more beneficial against a team like Man City. Why Ralph did opt to change the goalkeepers? I mean, I tend to, to veer with you and I may be wrong, but it, it did appear, especially as Forster was back in between the nets today, which we thought he would be anyway. The issue I'd have with that is, and I was speaking to someone on my way back from St. Mary's today, a good contact of mine, and they, they made a very good point, And it was, at the end of the day, Fraser Forster's a professional footballer let's why why take him out because you're worried that he might concede a few goals against man city if fraser forster can't cope with conceding four or five goals is there a bigger issue there do you know what i mean it's not you can go to man city and be the best goalkeeper in the world and still concede five goals it's no they're that good it's no it's no big deal it, you wouldn't think it should affect his confidence too much if ruff has done it to protect fraser's confidence then what does that say about mccarthy i mean how far has he fallen if that's what he is now, that he is now essentially the whipping boy. If we're going to get a, play a really good team, then McCarthy goes in goal because we need to protect Fraser. I mean, I I, I don't know the, the the answer why why Ralph did it, but it's got to be either to protect Fraser's confidence or because he thought Alex was a better option for that game because he's better with the ball at his feet. I'm sure it. I'd like to think it's the second one. But I, I don't know.
1: So. Yeah, not not sure we'd agree with that necessarily after the Phil Foden situation. I think with our uh, Saint Sahon, it was uh looked like a penalty. But uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting one just to uh, discuss. And, and just finally, then Steve, because I'm sure everyone's keen to hear your thoughts on the, you guys' thoughts on the Brighton game. Uh, after the game at City, Ralph obviously said that, you know, he'd rather Saints play like that and lose five two than park the bus and lose one nil. I think probably you can understand that to a certain extent, but bearing in mind the amount of goals we conceded this season, as they said in the Brighton game today, only West Brom have conceded more than us now. Did you almost sort of think potentially that actually parking the bus and trying to lose one nil would have been a better option than being fairly open and conceding, as Glenn says, some of the schoolboy goals we did?
2: Probably not, because let's face it, if we tried to park the bus we'd have probably lost five nil. We'd have we'd have probably shipped found a way to ship those goals in in any case, whether it would have been as a result of having so many players behind the ball that actually they just resort resort to pot shots, and someone like Riyad Mahrez, as as he showed for the second goal, is quite good at scoring goals from distance, and Kevin De Bruyne has shown shown the ability to do it to do the same as well. I've to be honest, I've I've no problem with the with the setup we went with. Um, on Wednesday night, and to be honest, apart from the apart from the first fifteen minutes of the second half where we looked completely all at sea, I actually really enjoyed that game. There's been a lot of, I mean, let's be blunt. There's been a lot of really crap football played in the Premier League since probably just before Christmas, and that's not just Saints. That's across the entire Premier League, and I suspect it probably filters down into the lower lower divisions as well. Though I've not watched not watched any not much a great amount of um football league coverage other than um that hilarious game yesterday and i th- i think it was actually quite refreshing to see us kind of go toe to toe with city we created a lot of chances i thought and edison was busier than he's probably been all season i, I would think I-, I mean apart from that Leicester game where they basically gave away i think i think city could see a three penalties in that game didn't they i don't i can't imagine edison has had that many actual genuine shots to save and they and they were they were tough saves they weren't it wasn't oh we've we've just dribbled one down um sort of straight to his feet and he's and he's had to pick it up and it counts a shot on target they were they were genuine saves where he's had to tip one over from War prowse from long range he obviously had the the close range header from uh vestergaard which which then resulted in the penalty so yeah I, i i i enjoyed it wednesday night despite obviously the The fact that we basically gave, as, as Glenn said, we basically gave them four of the five goals. That was, that was kind of the frustration for me that having played so well, we still managed to be on the end of kind of a sort of semi hiding. But you thought that having, having played reasonably well in, in that, in that sense and, and kind of gone toe to toe with what is far and away the best team in the league this season, that might give us renewed confidence. And yet. Of, of course, here we are <laughs> after um, after that yes. um, that we've just watched.
1: Yeah, nice segue there. But uh, yeah, before we move on, we should obviously congratulate Salford City, shouldn't we, for their fantastic win at uh, Wembley, albeit that that's now history because Sunderland are now currently champions. And uh, obviously we should wish uh, Agent Jacket all the best for, for the future as well. Uh, anyway, yeah, on to today then. And uh, that, well, I think we can call it uh, Dross is probably the best way to describe it. Dan... We've been fairly critical the last few weeks um, in patches uh, but today I think we can sum up absolutely was, uh, if we're honest, a deserved loss and I think as Ralph called it, one of the worst games of the season from a Saints point of view. Yep, yeah, uh,
3: agree with that assessment, agree with Ralph's assessment as well. What I will say, and I said this before we, we came on air, when Southampton got back in the game they did. Act- they, they went on a decent spell and I said to you guys I may as well just repeat it, I thought as they went in at what one all when you would think are oh, they gonna come out for the second half and have a real go at it but you didn't I, say it. No, I'm joking you did. Nah, <laughs> nah. I mean I, I don't know what was said in that dressing room at half time, but it, it whatever was said didn't didn't work because the players didn't come out and they didn't play football. I don't know what they did in the second half, but it certainly wasn't football. It was abysmal. It was woeful, shocking, dire, dire I mean, you could just go through a dic- like a dictionary of words here and describe <laughs> was the one yeah yeah. yeah. turgid's a nice word very nice word um it lacked desire and that for me was one of the, the more worrying things when one of the fundamentals of ralph's game is challenge for every single second ball if that if there's a ball there to be won i want you there challenging for it they didn't do that and i think beyond beyond the hour mark they didn't have a shot on target like come on what what are they doing and it's on, Ralph is, Ralph is going to come in for some stick Because if we're being honest He picks a team and he gives the team talk And he tells them what to go and do But he did everything For them to go and win this game He made six changes against Man City I mean, they, Even if they didn't make those changes They would have lost to Man City anyway But he still did that to rest them With this game in mind This was the game that they win 36 points, 10 points clear of relegation Any fear of relegation is gone Now at this point I I mean, let's not be knee-jerk. I still don't think they're really in any danger at the moment. The picture may change in three weeks' time, and they could be in serious danger. Let's see if Fulham beat Leeds. Then it may change. However, at the moment, there are still worse teams than Southampton below them. Um, And you'd think, one more win and they're fine. And they've got Burnley and West Brom. You'd like to think they can beat West Brom. What concerns me is that the players just are bereft of ideas. They're just... And there was a period in the second half, and I put it in the WhatsApp group, where you had Jennifer and Redmond, now I don't want to single them out because they weren't the only poor players, and they're both down the left flank and they're in a good position, and Saints have numbers in the box, and Ralph is screaming, get the ball in the box, come on. The ball go the ball went back to Jan Bednarik on the halfway line. Where where is the I don't know, where is the kind of endeavour to to make something happen. It's just it's just been devoid in recent weeks and today just highlighted it again. Brighton absolutely deserved the win. 100% deserved the win. They, they were excellent and had had they conceded a late goal then it would have been really tough on them. But I think that game could have gone on, gone on for another 45 minutes and Southampton still wouldn't have scored. It was just that kind of performance. Uh, 45 days. 45 days yeah. And uh, Then after the game... It, ralph's ralph was obviously very disappointed at what he just witnessed and the subs he made just didn't make any impact and he made the point where he said it seems like basically in the last few weeks whenever the, the substitutions are just getting worse the players just aren't coming on and doing anything and this is ralph saying that and then he's saying how the automatisms that are so important to, to his system they're getting worse every week as well and it's like well how the hell do you arrest that slide then because these are the games you want to be you want to be doing it in the teams where that blow you in the table and that have been blow you for most of the season. Now I think I'm sorry I'm rambling on. I know, sorry, and I want to, to watch
1: it's, the no, players. No, that's games interesting games, stuff. And I think lots of people down know that you get the chance to speak to Ralph after the game, and lots of this is stuff that people will want to hear. So,
3: but what I think on the flip side, now we all maybe we we all did as well. I mean, I I, I think when they started so well, I think everyone's expectations naturally went higher, and I think Southampton. At this point of the season, compared to last year, are like one point, they either have one point more or one point fewer than they had at this time last year. So, I guess they're kind of par for the course with last season in mind. However, it's just you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, where where are these points going to come from? Now, in the build-up to this game last year, uh, I sorry to go back to last year. Ralph made a big point about it was, everything was about 36 points. When we get to 36 points we can look at next season. We can make new, we can sign new contracts. We can open up negotiations with, with players. Now, Ralph didn't want to say 36 points uh, in the build up to this game. He said, and he made a good point. It was, I don't want to put a number on it because I don't want us to fall over the line. Now, If they're not falling over the line now, I mean, I don't know what they're doing. It's, really poor really poor i'd love to hear what you guys think about it so like i'm going to sit back for the next few minutes and just hear you guys vent so yeah
1: yeah <laughs> it was interesting i mean I, as you say i don't want to pick out uh, any individuals cuz uh, they were all pretty bad but i have to say you know, in terms of impact subs, Nathan Redmond coming on, and the most effort he put in was having a chat with Adam Lallana on the game. That's what it seemed like to me. But uh, as I say, he was one of a number that unfortunately didn't do a lot. But Glenn, I think Dan's summed up a lot of interesting things there as a neutral. But I think for me, as a Saints fan, you know, the biggest issue I see is I can take us losing if we feel like the team have given their all, but not when you show almost zero desire and urgency. And to be fair, look, they played well for 10, 15 minutes after they got the equaliser, absolutely. But other than that, I mean, that was 70 minutes, as we said earlier, of uh, lack of try and lack of urgency, and just, you know, sideways and backwards again, all the sort of bad traits we've seen over the last couple of seasons.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, to start off, Brighton, who are a team who are near the bottom, have, have lost the last three games. They were better in every single aspect of the game. Every individual battle. Absolutely. Tactically better. They wanted it more. They played with heart. They defended better, more compact defensively and more threat up front. And they were much more incisive. You know, the the old stats were on, you know, full alert, weren't they? All the way through the game. And oh, Brighton have had less passes than Southampton. Yeah, but we've gone absolutely bloody nowhere with it. And a lot of it, another one of my bugbears is, is, (laughs) I've got lots of bugbears, but another one is, it's called pass and move for a reason. You know, the two go together. You can't have one without the other. And we have a chronic lack of movement up front without Danny Ings playing. It, it's it's abysmal. You, you just see him. Um, I mean, Nathan Taylor hardly touched the ball today. Young kid. Not going to go too hard on him. Che Adams just kept giving the ball away. He was like a one-man possession recycling machine for Brighton. Just kept giving the ball away. Scored his goal. Fair enough. Should have scored another one. But a lot of the time... Why do you think we go back and reset? It's because there's no one to pass to. I mean, we, we are a little bit too inclined, I think, to go back and reset. But if there's no one to pass to, then it, it does become diff- difficult and you start forcing things and it, you know, it, and that's, that's when you give the ball away. The substitution that got me was we, okay, we've already touched on Redmond and Gineppo not exactly contributing much. Put Dan and Lundaloo on for the last eight minutes. So we've got a big, I don't know how tall he is, six foot two, six, three, he's a big lad big unit we didn't give him one ball to attack not one so what's the point in putting him on if the players aren't going to have enough brain in their head you know the other players to oh we can put it in the mixer now and and the fact that the final whistle went when we were pissing around 45 yards out with the ball on the ground the ball wasn't even in the air traveling towards their goal we had it and we were going pass 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 oh look it's full time in the 94th minute of 93
1: and ironically glenn the ball was going backwards at full time which i thought again was know, a perfect summary know, wasn't but, it i mean there seems to be no appreciation the fact that
2: it was actually you're yeah. in the last minute of injury time here guys. we
4: we had a little bit of intensity in the 91st and the 92nd minute you know we needed to be playing like that from 70 minutes onwards but we just, it just drifted, and the game just drifted, and we got to ninety minutes, and uh, I remember looking at the clock at one stage, and it was actually eighty-nine, and for some reason I thought it was about seventy-eight still because I'd lost time because we hadn't done anything at all. But I mean, you know, we t- talk about Ralph. Ralph is not completely blameless. Potter changed tactics at half time. Um, at half time, I was thinking Dan Burn is a big weakness. You know, if we can get Teller over that side. And I was thinking, that's how we're going to go for it, second half. And he took course, him off. <laughs> took, it, took him off, changed the formation, put three players in the centre of midfield, and they completely overrun Ward-Prowse and Diallo. Completely overrun them. And the second goal comes, comes from it. It's just a pass in field. Lalana takes out both midfielders with one pass. Don't know quite what Bednarek's doing. He's going
2: I mean, for he's, the he's, To he's be what, fair to what, him. Ten, he's, what, yeah. ten,
4: yard, ten yards ahead
2: of
1: where T- he needs to be? To be, be fair yeah, to him, I think he was trying to mark two men at the same time, but I don't really know what he was doing, to be honest.
4: Yeah, well, you mark two, and you've got to mark one of them at least, not none. And you know, it's a simple goal, and, and you know, good finish by Trossard. And from from that moment on, it, there was just nothing. Half an hour of nothing, and I think I tweeted on about 70 minutes that we wouldn't score if we played all night. Just couldn't see it. There's no, there's no spark. There's nothing out and the fact that Adam Lalana won man of the match was the final nail. <laughs> I just, and that was when I, I realised that we missed Romeu playing because yeah. he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been man of the match. If Romeu
1: well, was, he'd,
2: he'd been subbed off on about 50 minutes, wouldn't he? Yeah.
1: yeah. All, yeah. all we would have but, needed I've, is Dejan Lovren just to tweet afterwards, to go, "What a brilliant match Lallana had back at Samaria's or something. That would have just capped it all, probably, yeah. wouldn't it? But, yeah. yeah.
4: that would have been nice. <laughs> but, well, I mean, going going back to the first half, it was a, a completely pathetic effort by Ryan Bertrand on the first goal to try and stop Dunk winning that header. Now, I know it's it's kind of similar to the Vestergaard header at Brighton, where the Brighton players didn't cover themselves in glory, but I don't know what Bertrand
1: was doing there. To you be know, fair, Glenn, I mean, the question as well, which I'm sure lots of people will be asking is, Dunk, you know, is a threat in the air. So why have you even got Bertrand on in the first place? And he wasn't even watching the ball, as everyone will know. But I think more importantly, why was he even marking him?
4: We've decided... We decided Year or two ago, that we we line up the centre backs on the six yard line, and then the other the other players, which are usually players like Romeo, Bertrand, Adams, they mark, you know, the big guys running in, and the idea is to block them, not just cover your face and hope you don't get run over, which is what Bertrand was was trying to do. Now, as you know, I'm a quite a big fan of Ryan Bertrand, but that was that was really poor. It was just really weak defending, and you know, a, a guy as big as Lewis Dunk can score a header at any point that can happen but you've got to make it difficult for him you know you've got to at least try and put him off and, and that to me just, just was was poor
1: to be fair to Bertrand obviously he did set up our equaliser but uh, yeah Steve I, I think you know I speak for myself but I probably speak for most Saints fans I think that is the team bearing in mind you've not got Romeo Ings and Walcott that I would have picked today so it felt like we were almost full strength in terms of uh, who was available but I mean again you go on to lose the match isn't ideal but any positives you're taking from today Steve or not? No to be honest, um, it's it's
2: one of it's one of those games where players have somehow got to just write it off and take it out of take it out of the memory. I guess they'll they'll try they'll sit down with the video analysts and perhaps try and learn certain things. But I mean, what what can you teach them apart from well that was rubbish, that was rubbish. Oh, and that was rubbish as well. Don't do that again. I mean, we've, we've, we've been here before, albeit in like individual moments of games. There's, there's not been that many games where you kind of say from start to finish it was basically crap. I mean, Adam scored. Yep. Good, decent finish. Um, as Glenn said, probably should have had a, probably should have had a second. Straight after they retook the lead again, decent save by the keeper. In in fairness, but you you would always expect the striker to have the slight advantage in that in that situation. But yeah, other, other than that, yeah, I'm I'm am struggling to find any any real positives. Even the players that have that have been kind of the 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 sort of really reliable guys this season, uh, Walker Peters and Stuart Armstrong, prime examples. Both had really poor games today. I mean, Armstrong's had two bad games in the space of a week when I don't think we've seen two bad games from him since probably last season. Um, So that's 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 a concern, given how uh, he I mean, we've we've discussed this a few times before, how he kind of knits the team together in a in an attacking sense when he's not on the on his game. Um, we look a completely different side from an from an attacking perspective, so that's that's one thing that 's one thing that that definitely needs to be resolved ahead of um ahead of Bournemouth next week.
1: Well, it's ten defeats in twelve Premier League games for Saints now. Our previous ten defeats before that were across thirty eight games, so that kind of shows you the run of form. Um, Glenn, I know we try to remain level headed as best we can on here and uh certainly don't want to overreact, as Dan said earlier. There's plenty of time to for Saints to sort of dig themselves out of this, but as I mentioned in the intro, it's four points from thirty six. You know, you're only going to go one way with that form, and the pressure's building and the momentum's against Saints at the moment, that's what they need to turn around. Um, it definitely is building and and the players need to take some responsibility for it
4: it it strikes me that they think they're safe and there's nothing to play for and they're just winding down and this could go very wrong very quickly as as Dan said, you know, Fulham win a couple more games and they're going to be right behind us Um, the, the way we're going at the moment we don't look like we can beat anybody at the moment which says very very little about how bad Sheffield United were last week yeah well, I think Sheffield United, you've seen that bad today. they are today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, Ralph has said we have to be 100% at it to win <laughs> games in the Premier League. And I think the assumption was that, you know, that was the case when you're playing one of the good sides. But at the moment, we have to be 100% at it to, to be anybody. And, uh, and we just didn't look like winning today at all. And, and we, they, you know, the, it's difficult to pick out individual players and say they're not trying, but there's, there's so many out there who just seem to be just going through the motions, and if we are going to do that, then we are going to struggle to get these four or five points or whatever it is that that we need. And to be honest, from the position we were in, if we if we don't get them, we deserve to go down, and those players deserve the drop in money that, that inevitably comes from ending up in the championship.
2: Do we have relegation clauses in our contracts? Know. Well, let's, hope let's, not, let's, not, not, let's
1: not get too doom and gloom, eh? Yeah, Let's save that for another week. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> um, but Dan, look, let's, uh, you know, we could probably spend all evening talking about the Brighton game. I don't think we need to put the listeners through that. I think everyone understands that it was a, a bad day at the office. So I'm desperately going to try and find a positive here, Dan, as we always do. Obviously, we've got Bournemouth next week in the Cup, but essentially for the Premier League now, that's a three-week break. Do you think that that's potentially come at a good time for Saints with this run that they can try and sort of reorganize and reset, as Ralph said before, and try and work on a few things and get themselves ready for that Burnley home game, which, as uh, Steve said earlier, is clearly not going to be an easy game either?
3: Yeah, I think it, it does serve as a good opportunity to to step out of that Premier League bubble for, for a period of time. And Ralph has often bemoaned the fact that there has been little time this season to to work with the players to improve what's going wrong. And he made that point after... After today's game, because I I asked and I I asked him the question whether his message is still getting across to the players because it certainly doesn't look like it is, and he kind of said that well we we can see what the issues are but we just can't work on it at the moment because we haven't got the time. Now they have got let's say there's three weeks now until their their next Premier League game with Bournemouth uh, nestled in between that. So it it will serve as an opportunity for whatever is going wrong and whatever he's identified as going wrong. And I'm sure it is more than just the players seemingly can't be asked to put a shift in when they're 2-1 down to a team below them in the table that he's going to fix it. And you have to imagine that given his kind of track record when they've had a bit of time to to work on things and iron out any any problems they have that they tend to come back quite good and and quite strong so if if they follow that trend then I wouldn't be surprised if they come back beat Burnley and then go and beat West Brom and they look like a completely different team but it it's a big if at the moment it's a really big if because I thought they were going to win today I was optimistic going into the game I thought that you know what after the City game the players have been rested they're going to come back and they're going to put in a performance Will they put in a performance against Burnley in three weeks' time? Well, they need to. One, one of those. I mean, Burnley are probably the team that you don't really want to play because mm. they're they're hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we don't usually
4: do very well against no,
3: them. No, they're they're a good team. They're 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 a resilient bunch, aren't they? And Southampton seem to run out of ideas at the moment after about five ten minutes. So if Burnley can keep them quiet for the opening quarter of an hour, and then, then it could be a similar performance from what we saw today, but. To answer your question, I think three weeks is enough time for hopefully a couple of players to come back and Ralph just iron out whatever creases he feels he feels need ironing out before they resume in, in, in the top flight.
1: This is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. To wrap up this week then, a preview of next weekend's trip to the Vitality Stadium for our FA Cup quarter-final against Bournemouth. Steve, I think I probably know the answer to this, but still a big fan of the FA Cup and looking forward to the game? Uh, Still a big fan of the FA Cup, not looking forward to the game quite as much
2: as I was probably about 24 hours ago. Yeah, I mean, Bournemouth seem to be flattering to deceive in the Championship. They've got a squad that should be probably up there with Norwich, and yet they're... Um, making a massive pig's ear of it under a novice on, with a novice manager in caretaker charge. And it sounds like it's all a bit of a mess down there at the moment. So it's, it's obviously a recipe for us to make a massive pig's ear of it, um, ourselves down there next week because that's kind of what we do. It's, it, we went, we went there at the end of, end of the season and kind of effectively relegated them, didn't, didn't we? By, by winning, winning down there. There'll be a few players there. At Bournemouth with a with a bit of a point to prove to try and uh, get some pride back f- from that I suspect, but ultimately our players should be looking at it as an opportunity to get to a Wembley semi final and I mean I don't know but there's possibly a chance of some fans being there at a semi final maybe. Um, seems, seems a long shot to me, but they're, I mean, certainly 20, they're, they're talking about 20,000 for the final and maybe a 10,000 pilot event for the semi-finals. So, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's an incentive if, if nothing else, I think, because, I mean, as, as we've discussed before, these games have got really, really dull after the kind of novelty factor of fake crowd noise or being able to hear what, what Ralph's shouting from the, uh, from the technical area. But yeah, Bour- Bournemouth are mediocre compared to where they should be. So we should win, but... It's gonna have, we're gonna have to show a hell of a lot more application than we did today, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Obviously, we know, Glenn, that Bournemouth fans like to try and create a rivalry with Southampton. It's not so much, uh, accommodating going back the other way, but, um, to be fair, you know, over the past few seasons, the atmosphere when there has been fans in has been pretty good down there and Saints have had a, a fairly decent record, but how do you see it going, uh, I mean, I suppose the pressure is all on Saints in it with the, the way things are going at the moment and the fact that they're, you know, Bournemouth will be treating this as the underdogs.
4: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because Bournemouth, Obviously their priority is to get back in the Premier League. So you do wonder if they'll even put out a full side. Bournemouth have notoriously, when Eddie Howe was there, they notoriously used to tank the FA Cup every single year. They'd make 11 changes, get beat in the third round, and that'd be the end of that. They've, I think this is the first time they've been beyond the fourth round in Donkey's years. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a game they should be motivated for because of their um, pretend rivalry with us. But at the end of the day, they're a worse, version of what they were last year you know because the good the good players the the Wilsons and Kings and people like that they've left and they're still left with the the players who have got relegated so Billings, Solanke, Dan Juma, Surridge people like that so we we should win but you know when the draw came out I thought oh no worries we'll win that but having seen us play today um if we turn up and play like that we'll get beat again so I love the FA Cup as you'd expect of a person of my advanced years to say but I have little or no enthusiasm for it, whether it's the crowds or you know lack of crowds or, or whatever it is. The semi final is is an incentive, but the way we're playing at the moment, whatever other six teams we end up, you know, we end up whoever we end up playing in the semi final, should we get there, I would not be expecting us to. to get anything other than a defeat and it'll be like our, our last FA Cup semi final against Chelsea where we were basically beaten before we turned up. I think
1: Wesley Hoyt played that day though, didn't he?
4: Yeah he did, he was special. He, he yeah, he was special on the second goal if you ever want to watch it back. Just basically stood there whilst it was that crap forward they had Maratta. Um when when he scored. But um yeah, so I don't know, we we can't be as bad as we were today so we should win but uh, i'm not holding oh <laughs> i'm not convi- not convinced we will
1: no. go that way. dan you've mentioned it a couple of times haven't you over the past few weeks both in your athletic articles and then obviously on here as well about saints not having much left to play for in the season i know it sounds slightly uh, uh, ironic uh, after everything we mentioned earlier but the FA Cup is a chance for them to sort of end the season positively if we can stay up in the Premier League as well. So, you know, how important do you think it is for, for the team and, and for Ralph as well, you know, alongside not just today's result, but in general, you know, still having something to play for throughout the rest of the season?
3: Yeah, and it serves as a, a very welcome distraction from what's going on in the Premier League at the moment. Now, when I when I did that first piece on the Athletic, Southampton hadn't just gone on a, a run of nine games without a win or two wins in 17 now, I think it is. So... I think the picture has slightly changed, ever so slightly. However, it's still one where, as I mentioned earlier on the pod, I still don't think they're in absolute danger at the moment in the Premier League so they should absolutely be prioritising the FA Cup and I know Glenn said you're setting yourself up to lose the semi-final but you never know they might get Sheffield United if Sheffield United win their their quarter final tie which let's face it they probably won't but they might get Sheffield United and then you think well we're, we're one game away from a final what frustrates me I think a little bit about Southampton's FA Cup run and I don't know whether that's because they're they're managing to keep clean sheets and win games or and whether that's down to the fact that they've played Arsenal who made changes and they seem to be playing so much better in this in this competition now I don't know whether that's like a psychological thing i I don't think footballers can just turn it on and turn it off so i uh, I'm not too sure why why they seem to be doing so much better in the competition this year than the Premier League in recent weeks, but yeah it's going to be a good opportunity for them a chance to go to Bournemouth and as the other as, as the other guys have said if if it comes down to quality on the pitch, although it seems that it's been lacking in recent weeks for Southampton, they
1: should still have more than enough. To beat Shane Long's Bournemouth. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking, obviously, uh, their best player would be play. uh, unavailable, yeah. wouldn't he? Because, uh, yeah, Shane Long won't be able to to play, which is a, a shame for them, obviously. But uh, I, I suppose that's the key thing, Steve, isn't it? It's, it's you, you know, when Ralph's trying to sort of think about preparing the Saints team this week, and he'll probably watch footage of Bournemouth over the last few weeks and things like that. You know, promotion is going to be key for them, and I mean they're they're seventh in the uh, championship at the moment, 13 points off the automatic spots after losing to Barnsley yesterday. So, you know, they they've still got a lot of work to do. And he probably won't know what Bournemouth side is going to come out because I can't imagine Woodgate is going to. You, you know, Bournemouth fans aren't going to allow him to play a weakened team, so to speak. And you look at their lineup against Burnley, and there were sort of seven or eight starters that are starting fairly regularly. So, you you know, from a Ralph point of view, I suppose I'm trying to say here, it's going to be hard to kind of predict what Bournemouth are going to do.
2: I slightly disagree. I think Bournemouth will be very predictable because they've been playing more or less the same way all season. I mean, the Championship, like the Premier League, has, has the international break coming up. Bournemouth don't have another game after this FA Cup quarter quarterfinal um, for two weeks. So there's no, there's no disincentive to play, to play the strongest team. So I, th- I would imagine that Woodgate will go in with, I mean, assuming, assuming everybody is, is fit and available, and obviously Shane Long situation um included is that they'll basically play the same the same starting lineup they've been trying to play the last few weeks um i think i saw lewis lewis cook's um busted He's his knee injured, again isn't which, he? Yeah, that's right. which is yeah. obviously which is obviously unfortunate for him but from a first 11 perspective they'll be picking their best available players um there's absolutely no doubt about that. I'm not sure if they got a game this midweek. They are playing two they're playing Swansea, I think. Well, in in which case that could be that's very much to our advantage because obviously Swansea are in second, I think at the moment in the, in the championship. So that's that's a that's a bigger game for Bournemouth, I would say. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what sort of exertion that that game takes out of them during the week. We've obviously got a full week to prepare. So that's one one of the few advantages that we've that we've got over a, over an upcoming opponent this season, so about time we made made the most of it. I think.
1: Just finally, then, Dan, as uh, Steve mentioned earlier, obviously the the victors will uh, get the chance to play at Wembley semi final. I mean, if that can't motivate you as a professional footballer and a, a sort of carrot to work towards, then nothing will.
3: Yeah, it's just a shame that it won't be a a, a sellout crowd. That's the only the only problem. I, I I do think Wembley has lost a bit of its shine, though. I, I'm not going to lie, because Tottenham played there, didn't they? For a few seasons so it's not like these players will be turning up to Wembley for the first ever time so yeah I mean for me Wembley's lost a bit of it's the kind of glamour I'd much rather see the semi-finals played at neutral venues like was, Miller Park yeah, I still miss those Old days yeah, Hillsborough
1: yeah. places like so, that they were brilliant think, to watch
3: I think because then the goal is to get to Wembley for the final Like we want to be at the final at Wembley now it's you're there for the semi-final, and it it, just, it doesn't feel the same. Um, as a as a London resident, I'm happy with Wembley.
2: I'll, I'll just put, <laughs> stick stick that one out there.
4: Yeah, but I, I, you know, I I would rather it was played at Arsenal's ground or. Or Spurs ground even. Yeah, it was with Spurs having the brand
1: spanking new ground, you know. tell
2: because- t- t- you what, let's play at Selhurst. That'd be perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah.
1: But I remember when we spoke to, to Laurie, Glenn, you know, he was saying, wasn't he about players like David Peach never dreamt that they would get to, uh, Wembley? And, you know, he was sat in the change room talking to him because it was that massive matchday experience, wasn't it? That, uh, you know, I, I don't disagree. I mean, obviously they get a lot more opportunities to play at Wembley these days if you can do well. But yeah, you know, I agree with Dan to a certain extent. It was the pinnacle in those days, wasn't it?
4: absolutely and it, and it still should be now but we all know the reason it's not is because the amount of money that Wembley cost to build and they yeah. they feel they have to have to justify it but
2: also, also um, to be fair it means that i mean when in normal times when you can have fans in there it means that you can have 40,000 fans from each team yeah. Whereas um you go to you go to Villa Park, that's down to twenty, 20 at the 25, most. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Uh
2: well not, yeah, I mean not even that when you when you think the, the amount that the FA creams off for the so called football family. Yeah. Um so you're you're only really looking at Old Trafford as a as a venue that's gonna give you a capacity that that is suitable for um for most clubs in, in the Premier League yeah. now.
4: And the other the other problem I had with the, with the Wembley semi final is, of course, the price they charge for tickets. It's, it's, for me, it, it, that's, uh, that's an expensive day out if we get, if we get there. And of course, this year, of course, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I'd walk there to, to go to the game and, and pay virtually any amount of money if I could possibly afford it. <laughs> Give blood but, or something, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Hundred quid to watch a game. I mean, it was eighty quid when we went there for the semi-final. How, how long ago was that? Two years ago? Yeah, three years ago? A bit longer yeah. The
2: problem. Years. The problem with that semi-final was that they. I mean, they screwed up the ticketing on on that in that the concession prices were only about ten or fifteen quid less than the adult ones. Yeah. So you so you had the vast majority of tickets were at say eighty quid for adults, but if you're going with a kid or two. They were fifty or they were sixty or seventy quid themselves. Yeah, that's absolutely absolutely insane, and that's why because I think both of those semi-finals because it was us and Chelsea and then Man United Spurs was was the one on the on the Saturday I think, and I think only Chelsea sold out. Man United and Spurs both even those two clubs both returned tickets, which which is kind of unheard of.
4: You think? Yeah, I remember being in the queue for Wembley Park Tube Station after the game, so it was a mixed. Mixed thing with the Chelsea fans in there as well, and and I was chatting to this uh, Chelsea lad who had who had two kids with him, and he was on his phone checking out how much the tickets would be for the final, oh, and he he just paid probably two hundred quid to take his kids to the semi final, and he he worked. I could see him doing sort of arithmetic in his head, and I, I said, uh, "How much for the final?" Then he said, "It's going to cost me about five hundred and fifty quid," <clears throat> and that's for that was for him and uh, three kids, I think it was. So you know, horrible indeed.
1: There we go. All right. Well, no TSP prediction league uh, points for this then. But uh, Dan, Saints going to get through against Bournemouth or not?
4: Yeah, they will
3: do. I think. Yeah.
1: Glenn? Uh, one old draw, win oh on penalties. God.
3: Oh
2: no. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Steve, what do you reckon? Oh God. Um,
2: yeah,
1: I, th- I think I think we will win, but I don't think it's going to be particularly pretty. Yeah. No. Yeah, I've written down here. No idea. Saints maybe just who knows anymore.
4: You're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. Going
1: to the heart of all things Saints FC. Thanks for listening to this week's TSP. Always nice to have your company. Thanks to Glenn, Steve and Dan for their thoughts. We'll be back next weekend to hopefully reflect on Saints reaching an FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. We'll also be doing a Q&A with the guys ahead of the international break. So if you have anything Saints related that you'd like me to ask them, then do get in touch. Total Saints Podcast at yahoo.com. TSP patron Michael, your Danny's question is top of the list, I promise. And Jake, thanks for your question earlier today as well. We'll make sure that that one's also in there. Until then... Try to have a good week. See, I told you I wouldn't storm off and leave you all to it. Football, eh? What a game. Keep marching in.
0: Days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
4: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.